0: the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the podcast, we talk to Dr. Jason Kinderchuk about the pandemic debacle that is Alberta and Saskatchewan. Also, finally, a new and natural form of birth control that's also environmentally friendly. And as it looks as though we've lost America's daughter, Gabby Petito, I review signs of an abusive relationship. Plus, what is agoraphobia and how is it different from social anxiety? The psychiatrist is in the house. Plus, your emails. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. He's an Emmy award winning scientist. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk is also an assistant professor in medical microbiology, infectious diseases at the University of Manitoba. He's also Canada Research Chair in the molecular pathogenesis of emerging viruses. And his research, his actual research in the lab, focuses on the circulation, transmission and pathogenesis of emerging viruses that pose the greatest threat to global human and animal health these have included ebola viruses coronaviruses and influenza viruses he doesn't do facebook research and he's on the line good evening dr kindrichak
1: <laughs> good evening maureen how are you uh, you know what we've watched the paw patrol movie i think four times maybe <laughs> five times this weekend and i'm i'm just gonna say for the record i think i enjoyed it as much as my three-year-old has isn't so, that nice uh, it's, it's, it's it's been it's been relaxing to to a certain extent
0: oh that's fantastic um well uh i'm glad to know that you are a bona fide researcher i was actually just taken away uh blown away when my patient said you know in all seriousness she had done her facebook research And i thought i mean there's probably a lot of people out there doing facebook research especially when it comes to the coronavirus and the vaccines
1: yeah, you know, I I just did a you know basically a vaccine uh, information panel this afternoon for for the uh, Ukrainian Canadian Congress, and it it is one of these things where you know we, we're looking at people and trying to point them in the right direction uh, for for getting information, but you know a lot of people do go to really where the easiest sources are, and and it has become difficult to. Uh, you know, try and coach people on on what is, you know, good, valid information from, uh, you know, from from just misinformation. So it's, you know, it's going to be a constant battle for us. I don't think we're going to be able to move back away from where we are now. I think the best we can do is is to try and and change the narrative.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, on Facebook, I have seen many calls for people to get vaccinated almost too late. Mm -hmm. There's one in particular of late about a 39-year-old father of two who is fighting for his life in an ICU uh, in British Columbia. And I've heard many of those other stories also from friends and colleagues of mine who are ICU nurses and physicians who say, you know, people are on their deathbeds and they're saying, can you give me the vaccine now? When, it, when as we all know, it's far too late. Um, people thinking about getting the vaccine, waiting for more information to come out. I've heard all sorts of excuses, um, but we look to Alberta and Saskatchewan um, where uh, they remove many COVID restrictions. Um, we have uh, basically a healthcare crisis happening there. Yep. Where a call for Jason Kennedy to resign over this pandemic debacle. No sign of ICU admissions to slow over the next several weeks. And healthcare capacity is his and Albertans' greatest concern right now. And nurses are quitting in droves. Um, what, what do you think of all of that?
1: Yeah, you know, it's tough, right? There's an emotional aspect for it. Obviously, for everybody, I I have family in in Calgary, I have family uh, in Saskatoon, I grew up in Saskatoon. Um, It's been difficult to watch. and, And I think... For, for people that are in the field, it's been most difficult because you, you saw the invisible freight train running down the tracks. Um, and really, the gamble has been they were going to rely on the braking system of the train rather than trying to get the, the car off of the tracks as quickly as they could. Um, it, this is the crisis we're in and, and the unfortunate reality. And I said this the other day when they announced the new restrictions in Alberta. It's I'm happy to see that they're that they're finally getting employed But that doesn't mean tomorrow or the next day or the next day that things miraculously change. Everything will now take two weeks to a month to try and get those cases, uh, you know, battened down because we're always dealing a couple of weeks behind where cases truly are. So it's it's dangerous. Saskatchewan had 543 cases today. It's been, you know, a a few weeks now where we've seen a lot of records being broken um, and the trend does not seem to be changing. And that's just absolutely heartbreaking to, to watch because you know what's going to inevitably happen in regards to hospitalizations.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I'd love to hear from, from some uh, listeners from Calgary or Alberta, Red Deer, any of those places. Uh, what are your thoughts on on what's going on in Alberta? And I know that Alberta had a lot of healthcare issues with physicians and nurses even prior to this. Um, yeah. But it, it is such a worry when, uh, especially people who have co comorbidities or underlying health conditions um, to be at, you know, they're at much greater risk or those who are immunosuppressed as well. Um, and and older people, people over the age of 65. I mean, it, it is such a risk. And it, it, it was so irresponsible, actually. And I think that this goes along with the politicization of the coronavirus. I mean, a very classic politicization of it. And um, as opposed to you know, going with the science, they're going with the politics. And, and that seems to me what has happened here in a big way. Um, if you have a comment to make, the number to call is one That's one 877 um, What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it's a great point. I mean, you know, one of the things that I will certainly, uh, you know, kind of mention again is that we're not just talking about the impact of COVID uh, in regards to patients that, that are showing up and needing ICU care or need to be hospitalized. We now have to think about the fact that the surge capacity directed towards those patients um, now takes away from people with other malignancies and, and other, uh, you know, disorders and, and uh, you know, uh, underlying issues. That needed treatment that can no longer get treatment. And that's the unfortunate side with this is that it isn't just related to COVID. It now starts to have an impact on all of healthcare across the board. So everything gets amplified and you know I, I, I agree with you. I, I shake my head at, at why the it took so long to pull the brakes. Um, the question is, is this going to be enough? I I think that we're hearing the call saying, no, we actually need a circuit breaker and a complete shutdown to try and get things taken care of. Um, but I, you know, I, I, all I can do right now is, is provide support for our healthcare workers that are, that are out there working on the front line and, uh, you know, and, and hope that things get better.
0: Yeah, and the the nurses are making cries for help, and and they're saying, you know, it's not about numbers. It's about telling the stories, you know, sharing the stories of who the people are in the hospitals. And I think one aspect of this coronavirus pandemic that people have difficulty understanding because a lot of people say, oh, if I get it, it'll be like a bad flu. No big deal. 99% of people survive and, you know, I'm not worried about it. But it is the impact on the hospital and healthcare resources, which are limited in Canada. It's not It's not the same as the healthcare in the U.S. I mean, it's a very, very different system and it's a triage system. And, you know, I mean, when you're having to choose based on somebody's age, you know, they have equal... Uh, uh, burden of disease, but their ages are different. So you're going to decide to ventilate that one or intubate and ventilate that one, as opposed to the one next door. You know, I mean, it's very, very difficult, um, very, very difficult situation. But I I think uh, it's also a very selfish approach. and, And a lot of the response from people and politicians has been incredibly selfish through this pandemic.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I think we've gotten so caught up in, in the numbers that I think we've become numb to them. I mean, I keep going back to this idea that in the U.S. during the 1918 pandemic, it's estimated about 675,000 Americans died. and We know the impact of the 1918 pandemic. We are at those numbers and we are going to surpass those numbers mm-hmm. very soon. And yes, you can say what you want about population differences and how the numbers are now different. We didn't have Vaccines and antibiotics and, and uh, mechanical ventilation in 1918, we have all those things. So we saved a lot of people through medications. So they, the toll would have been unbelievably great had we not had those things. And yet we're still at this point and there is no seemingly end to, uh, to the pandemic anytime soon. So we, we've got to get back to really appreciating what the toll of this pandemic has been um, across the globe. It's just it's, it's unbelievable.
0: It it certainly is, and it's changed so much uh, for people in terms of employment, in terms of careers, in terms of loss, in terms of altering families where mothers have died, grandmothers have died um, because of the coronavirus, and um, or you know financially people have been impacted. I mean, you you can't talk to anybody who has not been Mm -hmm. impacted in some way or another by this coronavirus, and for those who do not want to get the vaccination i mean that's why we are here today <laughs> it's because we didn't vaccinate enough people fast enough and a year ago when we were all scared to death um people were thinking we weren't going to have a vaccine and now we have it and that politicization came in and, and basically just halted it and uh you know so this is why we're here but i'm i'm very happy to see some of these vaccine cards and, and these mandates that you can't get into public places what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah, you know, listen. I, I certainly, uh, I'm I'm happy that we've done that. But certainly, we've seen the numbers increase, which has been good. We're getting people that were a little bit more hesitant or who are you know waiting to see what happened, actually pushing forward to get vaccinated. We we need those extra percentage points. Um, I think there's always the concern. You want to make sure it's equitable. You want to make sure that you're able to get those uh, those you know immunization records or QR codes out to people that maybe don't have full access to internet or, or are not capable of using the internet, uh-huh. which still is a significant population. Um, but we, we have to make those considerations, but certainly we have to pull out all stops to get immuni- immunity as high as we can in the population. There's, there's no debate about that. And uh, the, the unfortunate reality is we don't have the time um, to, to really go through long drawn out conversations um, uh, over and over again about why vaccines are safe because we don't have the time, and that's that's the unfortunate side. Is we will we will have to do that over the long uh, long haul after COVID. Um, but right now, we, we, we have to just get the numbers up, and it's frustrating and it's angering. And, and I certainly understand people's apprehensions. Um, but listen, we you know we've seen billions of doses. The the safety is there. We we can't use that excuse anymore. Now we have to be looking at this and saying, why are you truly not getting vaccinated?
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program, Dr. Jason Kindrachuk, a bona fide assistant professor and researcher at the University of Manitoba, who studies uh, transmission and pathogenesis of coronavirus and Ebola virus and influenza viruses on the line with me. Thanks, Dr. Kindrachuk. I do have uh, a, que- a caller for you. Chris in Penticton is on the line. Good evening, Chris.
2: Hello, hello. A uh, very rarely call shows. Um, Anyways, the reason why I'm calling is uh, I have a concern. Of course, we don't hear what's going on globally, and I suspect it's a, a real bad picture out there at this time frame. But my concern right now is the fact that, you know, even being vaccinated, we can still get this damn virus. My mm-hmm. concern is that, that those that aren't being vaccinated, that are getting this uh, Delta virus, that mm-hmm. uh, when we that are vaccinated get these, uh, get the virus, that sooner or later, this virus is going to figure out ways of causing a blip in the vaccination in which we're receiving. So I think down the road, uh, there
1: could be a p- t- potential that this virus could out the vaccine.
0: That's a great comment. And- what do you think, Dr. Kendrachuk?
1: Yeah, they, you know, this certainly has been at, at top of mind for, for all of us, right? And, and certainly when we talk about vaccine equity uh, across the globe, this has been one of the big concerns is that, listen, we you know we will get COVID under control uh, in, in Canada. I can't tell you when, but we certainly are, are well on the road, even though we have what's going on in Alberta and Saskatchewan. The issue is is that when you look at Africa, you look certainly at other low and middle income areas, we're talking two or three years until they're going, going to reach the vaccine levels that we're at. That's a lot of transmission, and certainly a a lot of potential for the 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 virus to continue to to change. Um, Will we see full immune evasion from the vaccine? You know, right now there are enough people that are not vaccinated that there's no there's not really a a lot of selective pressure yet for that to occur. Um, So you know we we are in a race. Uh, The the faster we get vaccine out, the faster we get transmission curbed, the less likely it's going to be that we are going to see more mutations. So. Uh, you know, I, I keep pushing. Others keep pushing, um, but it's, uh, it, it's it's been difficult. Right? Vaccine supply is just it's not making its way to the areas that I, I think really need it right now.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. You know, Dr. Kindercheck, we're out of time. I can't believe it. Time flies <laughs> when you're having fun. <laughs> Until next week, we'll have to hit the uh, COVID notification subject next week, and and I'm sure there'll be lots more to talk about as well. Thank you once again. I really appreciate your time tonight.
1: Yeah. Take care, Maureen.
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thanks so much for tuning in this evening. For the first time in 50 years, Canadian women have a new, safe, and effective choice in combined oral contraception, or COCs. This is replacing the traditional oral contraceptives that women have been taking for years. This is not your mother's contraception. Joining me on the line is Dr. Brian Hawk. He is a clinical assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of of Calgary. Good evening, Dr. Hawk. Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great too. Uh, I'm fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm delighted to hear about uh, this new uh, form of uh, birth control for women in Canada and around the world. Um, Tell me how it differs from our mother's oral contraception.
2: Yeah, so this is really quite a significant step forward. The estrogen part of the COC is actually a natural occurring human estrogen as opposed to a synthetic estrogen, ethanoestradiol that's been the only one available for, for decades. So the big difference with it, now, there's a few differences, but the big difference with it is it does not affect the liver and the coagulation changes that the previous estrogen did. So that um, is huge.
0: And and that sounds to me like the safety profile uh, is significantly better with this new natural uh, COC. Well, so the safety
2: and the side effect profile. So the one thing of concern that's always existed with the previous estrogen was Mm -hmm. that there was a two to three fold increase in developing blood clots in women and because of the effect that it had on the liver and changing the uh clotting parameters and this estrogen does not do that um so that's that is a really significant difference and then the other thing is it appears to be very favorable uh, with regards to side effects for again the same reasons
0: and so um weight gain is a pretty common side effect for a lot of women on the traditional uh, oral contraception is it better with this new um natural uh oral contraception
2: well you know weight gain never really was a very big aspect of it uh you know there was a small percentage of women that uh, did have a change in weight uh, related directly to the pill some up some down uh but because the it's actually such a small component, it's very, very hard to actually demonstrate if there's a difference with that you know the one the other thing that uh, is an important difference with this estrogen component is the uh, effect in the breast because the previous estrogen uh did stimulate the breast cells and um, that is what contributed to one of the three major side effects of the pill which was uh, breast tenderness and pain in women and this estrogen estetrol does not do that in fact it actually blocks the uh, enzymes in the breast so it uh, it goes in the opposite direction now the concern with um, all previous birth control pills Uh, is that it appears that the longer a woman did take the birth control pill, the greater the uh, risk of breast cancer. Now, it was still very small. And overall, the uh, cancers are reduced with the pill because it does reduce uh, ovarian and uterine cancer. Uh, Now, because this estrogen is different, it does not stimulate the uh, breast cells. Now, nobody can say it will take decades' worth of use and observation to be able to determine if there's a difference. But at least it's a positive aspect of it.
0: And this is a natural, this is a plant-based um, source of estrogen, yeah. the estrotol or E4?
2: That's right. So the actual molecule is derived from a plant. So they take whatever plant, uh, yams, there's a number of them, and they take the base steroid molecule and then they take it into their facility, and they actually change the base molecule into estetrol, which is identical to the uh, estrogen molecule that's found in humans.
0: And and so, it does it does it come from yams, or is it um, as well as other plants, or
2: uh, it can be derived from a number of other plants? But then, because also because of this aspect, and uh, that's also of concern is that the previous estrogen ethyl estradiol which was excreted in the urine of women then went into the sewage system went into rivers uh, would affect fish and other naturally occurring organisms Mm -hmm. and estetrol has been studied and it does not have any effect on fish or uh, other organisms so what's found like in the Bull River in Calgary I mean, it did feminize the fish, so they did not develop uh, correctly sexually, and which obviously is not a good thing in terms of reproduction and uh, development. So, estetrol does not do that at all.
0: Wow, that's amazing, and and who would af- actually even think of that? Um, and so, well, it's actually, it's uh, been so thought about for a long
2: time. You know, that effect <laughs> on fish has been known for uh, decades, is that it did have that feminizing effect on uh, fish and other organisms
0: but i wonder if the vast majority of women taking oral contraception had fish on their mind <laughs> i don't no, i'm not I'm sure. sure
2: no i'm sure <laughs> they, had they didn't other things, so the vast majority other of women,
0: things yes
2: exactly that's right <laughs> yes. But when you know women are now hearing about this it's actually you know we're very conscious of the environment these days so it's actually you know, pretty good.
0: Totally, totally. I think it's amazing. It's fantastic. Um, and so do you find a lot of women coming into your clinical practice practice asking for a more natural form of oral contraception?
2: Well, not yet, because this is very new. So I mean, I've been fortunate I've been involved um, as this has been developed through the research stage, and then of course, once it's uh, just become available, you know, then I've been now, of course, talking to women about it. And, um, of course, they're very enthusiastic about trying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, it's not really out there yet. So, you know, your show is um, is going to be very good in just simply informing when it's available. You know, education to healthcare providers who are prescribing COCs needs to take place as well so that everybody becomes familiar with it and, um, you know, starts to use it. And there's really no reason not to use it.
0: Um, Thank you very much. And the name of this is uh, Nextelis, is that correct? Is that the, um, or Nextelisa? Is that, which will it go by in Canada? Nextelis.
2: Yeah, Nextelis, that's right. So it's combined with a progestin called respirinone, which has been around for decades and is uh, thought to be one of the most sort of physiologic, close to natural uh, progestins that there is. So the combination of the two is... uh, very effective and very good.
0: And that was my next question: Is the efficacy? How is the e- efficacy uh, as compared with um, the former types of hormonal birth control? Yeah. So
2: it is at least as good. Now the one thing with this, which uh, is unique compared to the older birth control pills, all the old birth control pills were at uh, twenty-one. And seven regime, where 21 of the tablets were a combination of estrogen and the progestin, and then seven days of nothing. Uh, now, in recent years, the science has been you know moving forward, and that's been changed to a 24 and four regime, which has a number of advantages, including uh, probably fewer failures. So this, of course, is a 24 and four regime, so it's at least as good, if not better at preventing uh, pregnancies compared to the older ones.
0: It's fantastic. And why is the time right for the new, safer birth control option in Canada, known as Nextelis? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, it would have been right uh, forever. It's just it's taken this time to develop it, you know, research and development and clinical trials um, and then getting approval from the regulatory bodies takes time. And that's just simply the pace that it's moved along.
0: Yeah, and I often say to people, and time takes time, this was approved by Health Canada in March of this year, and, and now right. it's available in Canada. So is it readily readily available in uh, OBGYN offices across the country?
2: Now it is. Um, you know, it only became, so it was approved by Health Canada in March, but it only became available that you could actually prescribe it in August. So yes, any uh, not gyne- not only gynecologists, but family physicians, and anybody prescribing COCs now um, can prescribe it and have access to it.
0: Oh, so uh, typically I, w- I would have expected that uh, maybe they would have started with OBGYNs but, uh, initially, but it's gone out to all physicians across Canada, which is fantastic.
2: Oh, if absolutely, yeah, once it's, once it's uh, approved and available for use, anybody, that prescribe COCs can prescribe it. And in fact, family physicians, just because it's considered very uh, basic uh, primary woman care actually prescribe more COCs than gynecologists do.
0: Oh, it's good to know. Well, that's great that it's available. Yeah. It's uh, fantastic that it's environmentally friendly. Uh, you know, so many women are looking for that today. Uh, that's a priority for so many women. And, and the fact that Nextellis is also uh, as safe, uh, as if at least as effective, uh, and perhaps even more. Um, this is just fantastic news, Dr. Hawk, and I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it.
2: That's right. You know, the increased safety and the favorable side effect profile makes it, uh, you know, I think it's going to be the birth control pill.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it uh, is uh, going to be life-changing for a lot of of women and really uh, meet the current needs of patients as well as their families as well. So thank you so much for talking to us about this. Uh, Is this the first show you've been on to talk about it?
2: No, no. I think it's the third one in the last few days.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Well, I really appreciate you going on. Um, and getting this information out because that's all that's well, almost why I started this program was because I was working in research and I thought there's just so much information that's just not getting out to the public and so you I know, really appreciate your time that, well ahead. that's
2: right and thank you for doing it because you're right there is so much information that's not getting out to the public so you know great for you
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Thanks so much for tuning in this evening, especially on a busy evening with the Emmys and the the sports games that are going on and everything. So thanks for uh, tuning in to me. I really appreciate it. Uh, If you've listened to the show before, you may have heard me say that uh, I have dual citizenship. And what that means is I split my heart between two countries, America and Canada. And oftentimes I see a story in the U.S., but I realize that the... Uh, central carry-on, or the carry-on of that story, can very much hit home in Canada or vice versa. And tonight, my heart was broken when I read on Twitter, um, and I had followed the story this week um, about the young woman from New York and Florida who went traveling with her boyfriend uh, to the southwest of the U.S. and um, went missing, her um, boyfriend drove home in her van uh, drove home to Northport Florida uh without her and uh, her parents had not heard from her. This is every parent's nightmare. Her father, Joseph Petito, wrote on Twitter tonight, Hello, world. I am Gabby Petito's dad. Please help me find her. She's missing and we need everyone's help to find her. Please keep sharing and praying. She is America's daughter. Bring Gabby home. And then very shortly thereafter, I saw on Twitter that it said the remains of the police from Northport, Florida, um, tweeted that the remains of a body, likely those of Gabby Petito, uh, was found. And um, of course, the boyfriend is hiding. Um, he was a person of interest. Um, there had been an issue, a situation that had occurred that brought the police in when they were traveling. And this is just such a lack of understanding about abusive relationships. And so I wanted to go over. I, I know so many women who have been in um, rela- abusive relationships. And, you know, one of the critical aspects about it is that even though they get so upset and they they realize that things aren't right, but they just desperately want to go back to when it was fine or when the time when the boyfriend was charming. And and I don't mean to say that uh, women can't abuse men. They certainly can, but it's much, much less likely and uh, um, much less um, common. Um, So these are some of the Uh, signs that you might be in an abusive relationship. When they call you names, make jokes at your expense or humiliate you in private or in front of others. They tell you what to wear or harshly criticize how you dress, insist you have sex when you don't want to, or insist you take part in sexual activities that you dislike or that cause pain. They refuse to let you work or force you to work. They refuse to let you leave the house. They constantly demand to know where you are, what you're doing and who you're with. They monitor your phone calls, text messages and emails facebook linkedin but they also may uh, not trust where you are and they may insist that you show them that where you say you are by going on facetime and and showing you their office or something like that they refuse to let you phone your family's your family or friends and what uh her boyfriend's i don't even want to say his name what her boyfriend's parents did of course they stood up for him they didn't uh, of course nobody thinks their own child will ever do this but that's just a huge mistake of mothers um, and i've seen that happen many many times before where n- not my johnny could never be abusive to your daughter. Well, that is not the case at all. They tell you who you can and cannot talk to. They constantly question your spending or take control of your money. If you are financially dependent on them, they may unreasonably limit the amount of money they give you or refuse to tell you about your own family's financial situation. They follow you in a way that makes you fearful. They may use physical force where they push, punch, slap, choke, shake, use of objects or weapons. They physically harm others like the family pets, family members, children, friends, neighbors, etc. They threaten to use physical force and threats aren't always spoken, they can be silent too and they can be like looks or gestures or they may display weapons. They threaten to kill you or others if you leave. They threaten to kill themselves if you leave. They threaten to turn you into the authorities they call the police or immigration if you leave. They use your religious or spiritual beliefs to manipulate or control you or to justify violence against women. They deny you your freedom of religion by refusing to let you practice your spiritual beliefs or insist that you follow theirs. They blame you, very, very common. They blame you for their abusive behavior behavior, and tell you that it was your fault. They may destroy your possessions or show up unexpectedly when they were not invited and not welcome to social or work events. They may steal your money. All of these things I've heard from my patients, it's just unbelievable. They may insist that you use use drugs or alcohol against your will. They may insist you take part in dangerous or criminal activities. They may hide your keys or your purse or they may take your identification, which is what happened here in the Gabby Petito uh, case. Um, they took. He took her license, so she couldn't go out to the clubs with her friends. Um, and many, many, and most abusers deny being abusive because denial is a drug as well. And some freely admit they have behaved badly and may even show great remorse and promise never to do it again, though they almost always do. Abusive relationships develop gradually, and at first, it might be tempting to write their behavior off as harmless perhaps just signs of love or jealousy or emotional insecurity. And again, there's that idea that you want to go back to when things were amazing because you had that good time with them, but then it's gone downhill since. So listen to this, understand it can be an abusive relationship, get the help you need, tell somebody, tell your friends. Um, there's no shame in it. It's actually their shame and it's such a shame. And may Gabby Petito rest in peace in our hearts. Her thoughts and prayers go out to her family.
1: You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for nurse talk.
0: And she's brought the doctor in to help her, a psychiatrist, no less, and uh, medical director and CEO at Elumine Centers for Brain Excellence, whose motto is heal your brain, change your life. Dr. Karash Edelati joins me on the line. Good evening, Dr. Edelati. How have you been?
3: Hi, Maureen. How are you doing?
0: I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? It's been a while.
3: Yeah it is. Good to
0: have yes. you. Uh... well we'll we'll have to uh yeah, catch up um once the pandemic is over if ever that occurs. <laughs> anyway. yes, yes, definitely
3: uh, th-
0: Yeah. Anyway, outdoor outdoor lunch is okay. <laughs> um mm-hmm. anyway. Uh so thanks so much for joining me this evening. I was uh checking out your Instagram post this week. I noticed that uh you're talking a little bit, or Elumine Centers for Brain Excellence was talking about agoraphobia versus social anxiety, which is really interesting. I remember hearing uh, the term agoraphobia about uh, somebody that I went to high schools with mother had agoraphobia, and then somebody else that I knew, you know, had this condition as well. And so it's always seemed quite mysterious to me. Uh, what exactly is agoraphobia?
3: Well, uh, let's start with, the first of all, the the, the breakdown of the words. So, agora is actually a Greek word uh, meaning uh, open space. And um, phobia is, of course, fear. So, the two Mm -hmm. of them together uh, basically imply that the individual uh, suffers from uh, being in in an open area. But, you know, it goes even past that. Uh, So, the person uh, has... Difficulty being in crowds, um, even waiting in line uh, in closed or open spaces, public transportation. Um, and most of the anxiety is there because the, the person really um, has anxiety about ha- having no escape from those, those situations or those places. Um, And uh, oftentimes uh, they have anxiety that they may get a panic attack, which is, uh, you know, the the typical heart rate going up, sweaty palms, uh, feelings of doom and gloom, stuff like that. So uh, that person has uh, kind of uh, anticipatory anxiety of being in those places and not being able to escape.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize that it was actually. You know, it's it doesn't sound like it's the fear of going outside. It's the fear of going into public places and that they will be trapped. Is what I is what you're saying. Is that?
3: That's correct. That's correct. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it, could be, it could be anywhere. It could be in a mall. It could be in a parking lot. It could be uh, right. in an elevator, even. Um, so yeah, it's it's just general public places that they're scared of being overwhelmed and not being able to escape from it
0: and so they stay at home
3: yes and it's so functionally quite disabling because uh most of these individuals can't get out uh for anything i mean you know you can imagine you have to go grocery shopping right uh, and uh you know i, I mean now this, it's with online shopping i might not be
0: such a bad thing but not the worst thing exactly yeah yeah, in a pandemic (laughs) not a bad idea either not to go to the supermarket it's one of my least favorite places to go the supermarket the gas station (laughs) and the bank (laughs) i don't really like going is is that a disorder um but i do like the bank kind of (laughs) lately They they gave me a birthday. They they actually had a birthday cake and flowers for me. <laughs> oh,
3: there you go. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: that was so nice of them, wasn't it? <laughs> the person with the least amount of money, they decided to give the uh, they decided to celebrate their birthday. No, they actually said that I was <laughs> I was one of the nicest people. Can you imagine this? They just said usually that people I think they get so upset about money when you don't have any, you can't get upset about it. But they said most people treat them so badly. <laughs> <laughs> that I treat them nicely, and so they baked me a cake and gave me flowers. Anyway,
3: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll get the number for the bank afterwards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, So uh, yeah, I love I love those people at the bank. They're so nice. Anyway, um, so now, how does agoraphobia differ from social anxiety?
3: Well, the main main uh, difference is that. Uh, Social anxiety, the individual worries about uh, being judged or uh, uh, feeling embarrassed when they're in social situations. Whereas with agoraphobia, uh, the fear is, like I said, an anticipatory fear of having an anxiety attack or losing control in those situations that we talked about, just being in public or in open open or closed spaces. So the main difference is the judgment piece, right? Uh, Being judged or feeling embarrassed. Um, right this is for society disorder.
0: And, and this is all in somebody's mind I mean other people may not be judging you or may not be wonder worrying about what you're wearing or um, thinking you know that you're late to the party or whatever they're mostly I find people are thinking about themselves um, so is this kind of thought up the social anxiety thought up in somebody's mind
3: well it is and, and um, it is a fear that oftentimes doesn't seem rational but to the person mm-hmm. struggling through it, um, it's very real um, and
0: yeah.
3: uh, very disabling as well. You know, and, and, and a lot of it uh, comes from, uh, you know, uh, sort of having a temperament that's more sensitive or anxious, uh, you know, growing up in families where uh, there is anxiety. That oftentimes we see this uh, running in clusters in families with other anxiety disorders. Um, and so it's a very challenging uh, uh, disorder to have and to struggle with, just because right. so, you know, everything in life, when you want to get ahead in life, has to do with uh, you know somehow a social situation.
0: Of course. And
3: oftentimes, of course, if it's not treated, the individual uh, goes towards uh, professions or jobs that doesn't necessarily require a lot of uh, interaction with others
0: right so basically both of people who suffer and and it sounds like they suffer significantly uh with both of these disorders are are basically staying at home they they would stay within and and probably the pandemic again has helped them because so many people are now working from home um so they're both staying from home how would you tease out uh which is which
3: well um that that's that's a million dollar question. That, I mean, they have to come and get an assessment first, right? And uh, of right. course, you know, knowing that, that the social anxiety piece has about worries in in you know judgment of others and, and the you know the feeling that they might get embarrassed in social situations versus uh, you know, so some of social anxiety, for example, uh, might go to a public open place, but not necessarily have a, uh, an anxiety reaction. Right, if right. They don't have to interact with anybody. Whereas with agoraphobia, the anxiety is is about getting caught in that public place, having an anxiety attack, and not being able to run away from it.
0: Mm-hmm. But what I, I mean, it's all I. hundred percent. They need an assessment, and I and I have sent patients to you, and I actually have a, a couple of patients to uh, refer to you. Um. But what I find is when uh, people come to see me you know, it's about relationship issues. It's typically, you know, uh, sexless marriage. That's what they present with. But there's other issues beneath that, um, that are causing the sexless marriage. And, you know, sometimes these people have suffered with their partners who have, who are staying home and not participating in social situations for years, you know, two, three, five, seven years. Uh, So they're not, going to parties and they're not going to work and they're not going to the supermarket and they they don't even know people in these relationships don't even understand that these are treatable conditions but the diagnosis has to happen first Um, would would you say that's a fair statement
3: that is pretty correct and and uh, you know and the loved ones generally try to support the individual as much as possible but uh, you know, the, really, the treatment is to have uh, in both situations exposure to the very thing that causes anxiety. And uh, you know, most love you know love loved ones try to help the family member by uh, doing a lot of their stuff or or uh, even adapting to this situation that we like were discussing, right? Mm-hmm. And so,
0: they're enabling basically
3: yeah it's it's called accommodation and and of course, mm-hmm. this is not going to help this individual because they have to face these fears um through therapy and the oftentimes that I'm getting to treatment a little bit, but it's exposure therapy really to, to face these situations and uh, seeing that the anxiety will rise, but eventually it will go down,
0: hmm but do they? You know, how about the that uh, difficult to treat patient that that patient who is in denial or has become accustomed to this way of life, perhaps, um who is resistant to uh, seeking help? and And their loved ones can often suffer because, you know, as time goes on, they start to realize, maybe they don't realize they're enabling, but they start to realize that, this just doesn't seem normal. This isn't what I grew up with. This isn't what the neighbors are like, um, you know. Uh, and and so they that it can cause tremendous distress in an intimate relationship. So what would you say to loved ones out there who are um, living or loving somebody with uh, either social anxiety or agoraphobia or the behaviors that may uh, indicate that they have either one of these disorders?
3: Well, there are two things. One, uh, I don't know if it's lucky or unlucky that during the pandemic we actually have telepsychology and telepsychiatry now. So,
0: okay. you know, the
3: person who is not willing to leave at home can still get assessed uh, via uh, you know telepsychiatry or psychology, and um, so the loved ones can, uh, even if the person is unwilling to go out, still books you know appointments with a professional to have this person uh, assessed. and the mm-hmm. second thing is sometimes you know we look at psychotherapy or talk therapy as, as our therapy of choice but maybe the individual uh, has quite a bit of anxiety to even engage in such a therapy so um, medications might help just to reduce the baseline anxiety
0: mm-hmm.
3: before we can actually get them uh, to, un- to undergo treatment
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Dr. Karash Edelati, psychiatrist, medical director, and CEO at LU Mind Centers for Brain Excellence, whose motto is, heal your brain, change your life, is on the line with me. If you have any questions for the doctor, the number to call is one 399 9898 That's one 399 Dr. Edelati, I'm sure there are people out there who are listening to this program tonight, and they are living or loving somebody who does not want to go outside, does not want to go to parties, doesn't want to go to school, doesn't want to go to work, doesn't want to go to the supermarket, um, What and and they, as you say, have accommodated them. What do you say to those loved ones who know there's something with their loved one, but they don't know what it is, can't put their finger on it, and don't understand that it could be a diagnosable condition and that there's treatment, what would you say to those people?
3: So um, the, the first thing is um, stopping the accommodations um, because as long as the accommodations are there, as long as the, uh, the, the ability to avoid uh, experiencing um, the anxiety uh, is there Uh, the individual will not have any um, reason to move from that situation because obviously the anxiety would create distress. So the first thing is removing that accommodation uh, and helping the individual uh, go through a little bit of that anxiety to get that uh, leverage so that they can actually see that, you know what, uh, things are not as rosy as um, they seem. And then the mm-hmm. second step of course is um to look into booking them with a professional. Uh if if the person doesn't want to leave, uh make a Zoom assessment. Uh even if the person doesn't want to talk to the professional, maybe they can sit in the background with that loved one uh and and just go through it. And as they get more, uh, and, you know, you have to be patient with this process because the, uh, the person has to get used to the anxiety created by that assessment altogether. So, um, you know, it might take a couple of sessions to go through this. Once you have that, then the options, are of course, you know, the treatment. And uh, treatment uh, for both agoraphobia and social anxiety disorder uh, or talk therapy or what we call psychotherapy. And uh, it involves cognitive behavioral therapy, meaning that the person uh, would be uh, first of all taught about, uh, you know, how unreasonable these anxiety um, causes it, these anxiety reasons are. And the next thing is, of course, exposure to the uh, thing that causes anxiety, little by little. We call that desensitization. Uh, and then, of course, teaching them social skills in the case of uh, social anxiety disorder. Um, And kind of giving them uh, role play, um, you know, into social situations where, you know, the person can be um, prepared for it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. If they have confidence, they might be able to slowly, slowly work their way into these uh, social situations.
0: So I wondered if... Oh, go ahead.
3: Agoraphobia is very similar. So giving them the opportunity to understand what causes their panic attack for example, right? Mm-hmm. What are the triggers? And how to remedy this before they get into it? Um, and, of course, you know, they still have to go through that situation, such as being an open uh, space with, you know, public uh, around. But nonetheless, if they have at least a better understanding of what's going on, uh, this may help them um, to just get out of the house and, and go through the exposure therapy outside
0: exactly and you also med- mentioned medications which i imagine are the ssris or the antidepressants we're, we're running out of time here so um i've got to head on to the break we're up against the news but dr edelotti thank you so much for uh joining me on the program to talk about this very interesting situation that affects a lot of canadians and uh and their families so really appreciate uh, your expertise